Uh, as we think about our text today, I was thinking about the power of words. I mean, you've heard that saying when you were a child. You've heard that saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt me, right? Except it's incredibly wrong, right? Like, like words, there is tremendous power with our words. We use our words to inspire people, to, to change their life, to impact them for a lifetime. Or we can use our words to completely damage and hurt and destroy the people around us. There is incredible power with, with what we say with our words. In fact, I was thinking this last week, I, the kids wanted to watch a movie. They wanted to watch the movie Cruise. Now, I'm into the kids' movies. I'll admit it. I like watching the kids' movies. So we put this movie on the Croods. If you've never seen it, there's this caveman family. And, and they're the last caveman family that are living. And so the dad, he is kind of overprotective. And so he has all of these things and all these words that he says to anything. Anything is new is bad. So if there's anything new out there, it's bad. And so he says this again and again and again, and he teaches his family. His family begins to adopt this idea that anything new is bad. Until one day, there's this new caveman who shows up mysteriously. And he's got all these new things like fire. Fire would be helpful in most cases. But because of the way that dad raised the whole family, it's new. It's bad. Shoes. Shoes, it's new, it's exciting, it's for your feet, but it's new, and so it's bad. And you see in this kid's movie how our words impact the people around us. Our words are so powerful. They, they, how many of us in here, when you start thinking back on your life, how many of you in here, you've got wounds, and you've got scars, and you've got doubts, and you've got insecurities, because of something that someone said to you long ago, the way your parents spoke to you when you were a child, because of something your spouse or because of someone you cared for, because they said something to you, you still carry those wounds today. And just bring it up to subject today is, is, is kind of ripping off that band-aid a little bit. And you're like, oh yeah, there's that one thing, that one time, maybe you were called ugly. Maybe you were called dumb. Maybe you would say, maybe they said, you will never amount to anything. I mean, we have these things, we hear these from people, and they have an impact on us. And even, even when somebody says these things, and even when we maybe rebel against and say, well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to go and do the opposite, those words still have an impact on us. We still think, well, I just, I need to achieve enough to prove them wrong because those words still have an effect on me years and years later because our words have tremendous power. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue uh, a series that we've been in throughout the summer called, or going through the book of Colossians. Uh, Paul wrote this book to a church not very much unlike our own, a church in the city of Colossae, and uh, the, the, the goal was that they would understand that the proper response to the gospel, the proper response to what Jesus did on the cross, is that we would put God first in our lives above everything else. That, that God would be first in our lives and we would keep him there. We wouldn't, we wouldn't graduate beyond him, but we would allow him to be first and foremost in our life. And we were in a section a couple of weeks ago where we talked about what 
does maturity look like? What does it look like when we are growing in our faith? We're growing closer to God. What does it look like? And again, for Paul, he's writing to this church that isn't very much unlike ours. And there are false teachers in that church that said, hey, if you're going to be mature and going to grow in your godliness, then that means that you uh, have these external religious conformity. And you begin to, to, to have all these rules that you follow. And Paul's trying to teach us that external religious conformity is a terrible substitute for Jesus. They're not even the same category. They're, they're, they're opposites. Religious maturity uh, is not about rules. And we learn that religious maturity, maturity in our faith, is when we hold fast and hold tight unto Jesus. Like that is what it looks like for us to grow as a Christian. That is what it looks like for us to be mature. It's that we hold on tightly to the person of Jesus. Last week, Jake did a great job. He said, listen, if we are a new creation, if we are a Christian, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, then we are holding fast to Jesus. And how we do that is we begin to, 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 to take off our old sinful habits. Our old way of living. And it kind of gets this verbiage of clothing. Paul uses this verbiage of, of clothing that if you are a Christian, that you take off these old rags. You take off these old things that used to dictate our lives. And this week we're going to see that he's going to say, now you put on something new. So you take off those old rags, you put on something new. Now I'm just, can't speak for you, I can be honest for myself. As I read about, about taking off these old things, and now I'm a new creation, and now I need to put on these new things, and now as a Christian, I need to be different. Sometimes I find that to be hard in my life. Like, I don't know if that's for everybody. I know that's for me. Where sometimes I read this, I'm supposed to not do these things. I'm supposed to start looking like this. And sometimes I think it's a little hard to, to make that happen in my life. My experience is... I can try as hard as I can with all of my might to put off those old sinful patterns, to, 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 to stop doing these things. But what I find is we have a very strong enemy, Satan, who always wants to bring to mind all of my previous failures. He wants to bring, a mind, bring to my mind all the past things I've done. He wants to remind me of all those dumb things and point me back, hey, this is what you've done. This is who you are, Right? And so when I make a decision, man, man, I gotta, I gotta be honest, I can't lie. It's kind of like Satan reminds me and says, you know, Kevin, uh, you always used to think it's easier for you to lie than to really deal with the root issues. And then Satan says, hey, Kevin, remember all those times that you lied? Kevin, you're just a liar. That is who you are. And Satan begins to fill my mind with all these things in the past and to say, Kevin, this is who you are. And then, I mean, this is where, whereas men, we, 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 we're going to make a decision. We're going to put off lust. We're going to put off pornography. Well, good luck, because Satan's going to remind you of all the times you failed. Remind you of, of how that makes you feel. Remind you, and it's going to pull you back into where you were. And, and it happens with all these things. He, he, Satan will bring to mind our anger. He'll bring to mind our, our drunkenness, our anxiety, uh, our, our lack of faith. And he brings to mind all of our failures to say, remember who you are. And sometimes it's not even Satan. Sometimes it's not even Satan. Sometimes it's the people around us. People throwing hate at one another. Throw it right back at me. 
you know what it looks like. You've got friends. You've got family members. You've got teachers. You've got coworkers that say all sorts of things to you. You begin to believe those things. In fact, there's one of my kids, and I remember one year I was talking to, the, talking to one of my kids, and they said, you know, Dad, I'm not very good at math. And I'm like, you're a genius. Like, like, like what are you talking about? Well, my teacher told me I'm not very good at math. So that means I'm not very good at math, right? You guys have been in that situation. Somebody says something to you. You're ugly. You're a loser. You always fail. And these words have tremendous power over us. We begin to believe them. And even when we try and overcome them, it's to prove them wrong, to prove what you said about me is wrong. Now, again, I know that most of you are probably emotionally stronger than I am. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay admitting that. But if any of you are like me, I want you to look at what Paul says here in verse 12. He says, he says, put on then, he says, based on us being a new creation, based on us placing our faith in Jesus, uh, he says, we take off the old person, and here I want you to underline these words, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Again, this is so simple, but his words are so powerful. Because what, what Paul is trying to do is trying to remind them of who they really are. Trying to remind them, listen, this is who you really are. Again, let, 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 me, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you to think about your closest relationships. Your best friend, your spouse, your parents, your coworkers, your family members. Think about when you have an argument with that person and when you fight. And don't pretend that you don't do that. Because that would make us all liars, right? Sometimes you have disagreements, and you get into an argument, you get into a, a conflict. I want you to consider the words that you use in those arguments. Because I want you to recognize that our words have prophetic power to them. Our words have such prophetic power to them. And so you get into that conflict with your spouse. You get into that conflict with your parent. You get in that conflict with, with a coworker. And we say things, and we just release a little bit of steam, and we say things like, oh, well, well, you're such an idiot. Guess what that person begins to start to believe? Well, you always get angry. Guess what that person begins to start to believe? Our words have a prophetic power to them. You always do this. You never do that. And guess what happens? We begin to believe the words that are said over us. Because that is the power of words. So when we have someone that say, hey, you, you, you're such a failure. Guess what we start to believe? Well, yeah, I guess I am. You, 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 and do, you, do we ever wonder why sometimes we lack the hope that we can actually change? Because people around us and Satan himself begins to speak all these things, these negative things, this hate over us. And we begin to internalize it. We begin to believe it. You ever notice how it's far easier for us to speak hate than it is for us to speak love? Our words have, have power and influence. And you might be able to release a little bit of steam by saying something that makes you feel good, but you are literally destroying and debilitating the people around you. And this is why I love what Paul does. 
Paul is saying, listen, if you are a Christian, if you are a new creation, I want you to forget all of this. Like you put that off. And here's what he says. Here's who he says they are. He says you are chosen ones. You are the chosen ones. Now this is one of the most profound ideas throughout all of Scripture. And you see it throughout the Bible over and over and over and over again. That you did not choose God. But God actually chose you. That God looked across the world. He looked at everybody and he saw you. He saw you dead and your trespasses and sins. He saw you as a helpless rebel against him. Shunning him and rejecting him and living your own life. And God chose you. God chose you. Despite your sin and rebellion, he chose to set his love and his grace upon you. He chose to adopt you as his son and daughter. Do you understand how magnificent that idea is that we are chosen by God? Not because we're awesome. It's not because we have so much to offer. I mean, you guys are all beautiful people, but that's not why God chose you. Deuteronomy 7 says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people uh, that the Lord chose to set his love on you and to choose you. It's not because you were smart. It's not because you had so much to offer. Deuteronomy 7 verse 8, It is because the Lord loves you, and that is why he chose you. Paul is saying, listen, I don't care who you were in the past. This is who you are right now. You are a chosen one of God. He says you are holy. This is not you are holy because you're so holy in yourselves. Because if we claim that, we're liars. And we're hypocrites if we say we are. But we are holy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for us. That we are holy. That we are set apart for God. Which means that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that we are different than the people around us. We have a different purpose. We have a, we have a different mentality because of what Jesus did for us. We are holy. We are set apart. Third thing he calls them. He says, listen, you are holy. You are chosen. He says, you are beloved. You are loved deeply by God. Just allow those things just to, to begin to simmer in your mind. And not thinking about, well, well, pastor's talking about the church. No, no, I'm talking about you. As a child of God, you are a chosen one by God. You are a holy one to God. You are beloved by him. Man, this is such a, 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 a powerful thing for us to understand, an incredible truth. But our problem is too many of us, we, we, we listen to the hate all around us. The problem is too many of us, we speak hate instead of speaking love. This past week, we listened to an audiobook by Bob Goff. And he hit on this idea of what's missing in our world. Bob Goff says, we need to tell people who they are. We become in our lives whatever people say we are. You ever notice that to be true? Now, I'm not talking about just having positive thinking. Like, you can tell me all you want, Kevin, you're going to be an NFL player. And I recognize, like, I'm not built for that. Like, I, I, I'm not built to be an NFL player. So no matter how positive thinking and no matter how much prophetic word you give to me, Kevin, 
that's just not in my cards. And I'm okay with that. It took me a few years, but I'm finally okay with that. I've, I've accepted that. But when we begin to speak gospel truths over the people around us, that is when we begin to see people's lives changed. When we begin to understand, listen, this might be who I was, but this is who I am now because of Christ. I'm not defined by these things. I'm now defined by what Jesus has done for me. This is speaking gospel truths over people's lives. And it allows people to no longer listen to the hate, but now to begin to listen to the truth, to listen to, to God's opinion. And you know what happens when we begin to, to, to believe these things that the gospel says about us? It breeds hope. It breeds courage. That we have this, this confidence in God that if I am chosen by God, then, then perhaps, perhaps I can be changed. Perhaps if I am beloved by God, perhaps that this lying thing doesn't have to uh, consume my life anymore. Perhaps if I'm chosen, if, if God has set his love upon me, perhaps this addiction doesn't have to guide my life anymore. I can become free because we've allowed the truth of the way that God sees us to dictate how we live. And it gives us hope and courage and confidence in who God is. And Paul is saying, listen, because you are chosen and holy and beloved, he's saying, listen, we need to dress the part. You've got to dress the part. Jake addressed this last week. He said we need to take off these, these old clothes, these old rags we used to, to wear, the old ways of thinking, the old sinful habits. They don't drive your life anymore. You take them off, and now you need to put on these new clothes. That should be clothes that, that, that drive how we live our life as a Christian. So what I'm going to do, we're going to go through this list together. But as we go through it, I want you to use this little scale. I want you to grade yourself. As we begin to look at, at what Paul says, this is what a Christian looks like. I want you to use this little scale that we've got up here. Uh, as we look at each one of these characteristics. Hey, and grade yourself. One, yeah, I don't see a ton of this in my life. Three, Ah, sometimes it's there. Sometimes I exhibit this characteristic. And five, uh, it's regularly there. Notice I didn't say it's always there because, come on, we're human beings. Uh, but I want you to, to, as we go through these, this list that Paul's going to give us, these characteristics, I want you to give yourself a grade for every one of these. It's going to be informative for areas that we need to grow. So first thing that Paul says, he says, be compassionate. He says, put on a, a compassionate heart. What does it mean to have a compassionate heart? It means that we have, have mercy and sympathy to those around us. To be compassionate means that we are no longer indifferent to the people around us. No longer are we cruel and harsh and cold to people, but we are compassionate. We wade into their story. We feel for them. This is where you begin to look at the people around us. You look at the person that you meet that's stuck in the addiction. And instead of judging them and being harsh on them, we think, man, I don't know the struggle that led to that addiction, but I'm sure there's a story behind it. That would probably break my heart. That means that when we look at that parent who's trying to, to, to work, their, work their job and trying to raise their kids, and they can't do it all perfectly, we give them grace because we have compassion on them. 
That is where when we're driving to work and the guy cuts us off. Instead of honking our horn and waving at them with one finger, we have compassion on them because we don't know the circumstances that led to them being in that rush on this morning. We put on compassion. What's your grade for compassion? Second one that Paul gives us, he gives us kindness. Put on kindness. This is an action that reveals our compassion. Listen, have you ever met somebody who, who, who's, whose life, whose, whose words, whose manner, whose smile, just communicate kindness to, to the people around them? you ever met that person? Like, you're just around them, and you're like, man, they are just so kind. I, I love it. In fact, there's a story uh, by uh, St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a guy who was struggling in sin, struggling with life, uh, and he goes, decides, I'm going to go to church. And he goes, and he hears his preacher, and he realizes, you know, the preacher wasn't that great. He just, he wasn't that great. But he kept coming back. Eventually, he gave his heart to Christ. And they said, well, well, Augustine, what led you to that? And this is what Augustine said. He said, I began to listen and love God, not because of his teaching, but because of the way this man was kind to me. That's what led Augustine to faith, was the kindness of someone who was kind to him. It says, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility. Third one. That may be one of the characteristics that we need the most because it flies in the face of how our culture tells us to live. It flies in the face of how many of us live our lives and how we often raise our kids. I mean, we're taught we should be proud of our accomplishments. This is where self-promotion and boasting, we say these are the marks of a secure person, someone who is uh, well-adjusted. And it's the complete opposite of the way that Scripture says we are supposed to live. When we say humility, we're not talking about self-deprecation, about cowering back. We're talking, uh, submission means that we, or excuse me, humility means that we submit ourselves one to another. Humility means that we are willing to put someone else above ourselves. We put their interests, their needs, their desires, their wishes above our own. We consider other people more than ourselves. What's your grade on this one? Look at your life. Look at your checkbook. Look at your schedule. What's your grade on this one? Fourth one, he says, put on meekness. I want to clarify, it says meekness, not weakness. Sometimes we mix those two things up. What, what meekness means is meekness means strength under control. Strength, strength under control. I always get the picture when I think of meekness. I get the picture of this big, old, massive bodybuilder like me. Like just big, bulky muscles. He's got the six-pack. There's probably a six-pack underneath here. You know it. He's got the big, cuddling a little baby, holding him softly. That's the picture I get when I think about meekness, about strength under control. That when we are wronged, when we are violated, when we believe that we are right, when we believe, man, I'm right and you're wrong, that a sign of our faith, the sign of whether or not we are mature or growing, is that we have the strength to exhibit meekness rather than bursting forth in anger 
and losing control. Fifth one, he says, put on patience. Put on patience, which means long-suffering, which means that we endure another person's uh, maybe annoying personality, that we endure someone else's irritating or frustrating behavior without losing it, that we become long-suffering and patient and gracious. Number six, verse 13, it says that we bear with one another. This is what we would call forbearance. It's a similar to patience, but a little, little bit different. Patience means we just endure it. We, we, we survive it. Long-suffering, or to, 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 to bear with one another, it means that we not only refrain from losing it, but we encourage them. So when that person that has the annoying personality, we're patient with them so we don't lose it on them, and then we forbear them and try and encourage them. That's what it means to bear with one another. The sixth one, seventh one, I forget what number I'm at, seventh here, it says that we forgive one another. We put on forgiveness. And I want you to notice the importance that Scripture puts on forgiveness here. Paul says, as you have been forgiven by God, which let me remind you, you weren't deserving of. As you've been forgiven by God, which we don't deserve, which we don't earn, like we fly in the face of God and God still chose you, that we were undeserving. As you've been forgiven by God, so you are to forgive others. So does that mean they have to earn it? Does that mean that they deserve it? Man, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. I'm gonna, when we talk about forgiveness, I need to clarify, it doesn't mean you can't air your grievance. In fact, Matthew 18 gives us this principle that, that, that if you have a problem with someone, you go to that person and you tell them their fault between you and them. You don't blast it on social media. You don't invite seven other people into the conversation. You've got a problem with them. You have every right to say, hey, you wronged me. This is how I felt. This is what happened. But at that point, if we're going to be forgiven by God, we, at that point, forgive them. We forgive them in that moment. When we forgive, it means we don't bring that thing up again them time and time and time again. How many of us have seen marriages that live in history? Well, you did this thing. And every time we have an issue, I'm going to bring it back up. Remember when you did this to me? No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means we aren't going to bring that thing up and hold it against them. Forgiveness means we aren't going to, to bring it up to other people. And forgiveness means that we are even going to prevent ourselves from bringing it up to our own heart. Because that jades us. Jades our view of that person. We forgive it and we move on. And verse 14 Paul's going to summarize all these characteristics. He's given us all these characteristics. He said, put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and, and forbearance and forgiveness. And verse 14, he's going to summarize it all. And said, these are the result of love. He says, we are to put on love, that we love other people. He, you almost look at this idea, again, he's talking about putting on clothes, that, that love would be like the belt that holds everything up, 
You don't want to lose the belt. You don't want to lose the belt. Like it's the thing that holds it all together. Maybe for you ladies, maybe it's like the shoes that make the outfit like all, like I don't know, whatever it is. But, but you understand the idea that love is the thing that holds it all together, that makes it all work. In fact, John 13, Jesus says, by this you will know if you are my disciple, if you love one another. That is how important it is that we learn to love one another. And let me just clarify, let me warn you, like, you don't get to decide what love is. You ever notice how we like to decide what love is? And some of us have a very jaded view of what love is, a very messed up view of what love is. Paul just helped us define what love is. You want to know what love is? This is how we are to love our family. This is how we're to love our neighbor. This is how we're to love our enemy. You want to know what it looks like? It looks like compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness. That is what love is. Oh, man, that's hard. Changes the way we look at it. Listen, as, as children of God, our lives are to be characterized by these things. Characterized by love. That if we have a relationship with God, that love is something that should be growing in us. It should be something that you see these characteristics begin to, to play out. That maybe, maybe, maybe you're on that scale. Maybe you're only there on a two. But you should be working up to seeing a three and a four. And each of, those, each of these characteristics you should be growing in. And I think it's worth mentioning. Again, this is where sometimes we've got to deconstruct what happens in church. In Paul's church, in the church at Colossae, again, there was these false teachers that said, if you're mature in Christ, here's what it looks like. You follow all the religious rules. You have these great religious experiences. And Paul says, that's not spiritual maturity. And I need you to hear that. That's not spiritual maturity. I don't care how good you are at keeping the rules. I don't care how, how great your experience is. You want to know what maturity is? You want to know the people that, that, that we're looking for? The people that are growing in their faith? Or the people that are growing in these things? Compassion and kindness and, 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 and humility and meekness. That is what it looks like to be a mature person is that you see these, these characteristics flowing out of your life. Not that you do all these great things and you, 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 you serve the poor and you change the world. We do that. But maturity and growth and depth is found in these characteristics that come from holding tight to Jesus. Another thing I should mention is when you notice all of these characteristics... Okay, you got to have compassion, you got to be kind, you got to be humble, got to be, uh, got to forbear, all these things, you got to love. You ever notice, none of those things you can do alone. You can't do these things alone. All these characteristics that define our faith, define our maturity, they are all done in community. See how it all kind of points together to the body of Christ that if we're going to be mature, we've got to have these relationships with one another. Because that is where the rubber hits the road. 
That is where maturity comes from. And look what happens. Look what happens, verse 15, is when we begin to put on these characteristics and put on love, he says, the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts. That when we are maturing in Christ, when we are dressing the part of being a child of God, that peace rules our hearts. So as you look at that scale you took, you look at that grade you gave yourself on each one of those characteristics, how mature are you in your faith? How much are you growing in your faith? How are you doing at taking off the old rags and putting on the new? Let me ask you this. Where in your life are you not experiencing peace? Where in your heart do you not have peace? Think, well, I've got chaos. I've got anxiety. That might be an area that you're struggling in. Struggling in putting in these characteristics. Struggling in submitting to Christ. Because when we are holding tight to him, and when we are, are putting on these things, he says the peace of Christ will rule your hearts. Now, again, I'm looking at myself, and I'm looking at how I grade myself on these characteristics. And we also have some room for improvement. And be else like, oh, man, like maybe one day this week I exhibited like three of these, but man, the other, uh, I don't know. Far too often I find myself holding on to the old rags from before, holding, holding on to the anger and the deceit and the slander. I lack the characteristics that display love. But here's the good news, is Paul wants to give us some instruction on, on how we can put on these new characteristics. And there's nothing new. I mean, I mean the, the, the surprising thing is he's not going to tell us you've got to jump through all these hoops. He's not going to say you've got to try so hard to, to, to be different. No. He gives us two very simple things. First, he says, remember who you are in Christ. This is how he began this passage. He says, remember who you are. You are God's chosen. You are, are set apart by God and for God. You are his beloved. Why do we have such a hard time grasping this? Why do we have such a hard time understanding the identity that God has given us? So many of us, so many of us in this room, we, we hold on to the past. We listen to other people's voices. We listen to Satan's subtle voice. And, and we think about who we were and we think that's who we are now. Well, I'm just the addict. I'm just the angry guy. I'm just whatever it happens to be. And sometimes, sometimes it's not even Satan's voice or, or another person's voice that holds me back. It's my own voice. My own voice that says, Kevin, you don't deserve that grace. Kevin, you don't deserve that forgiveness. Kevin, you don't deserve a second chance. Sure, Kevin, maybe you've got the get out of hell free card but you're still screwed up. You're still anxious and stressed out. Kevin, you are unable to really change and become a different person, to be victorious in life. You know what God wants to say to us today? He just wants to stand up and say, stop. Stop believing this crap. 
Stop, stop allowing this to define who you are. He's up here saying, listen, I have defined who you are. You are, are chosen by me. You, you individually, you've been chosen by me. I have seen you. I have called you. I have called you my own. I have, have set my grace and my face upon you. He says, do you understand what the tremendous effort I have gone to prove my love for you? That I gave my only begotten son, Jesus, to, to go and suffer a horrible death on the cross. To battle Satan and death and hell and everything. To, to walk out of the grave to prove, to prove I love you. I, I've chosen you. I mean, this is what he wants you to hear. But we have such a hard time grasping it. It's like, no, I'm, 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 even though you say this wonderful thing about me, God, I'm going to choose to walk back over here and live in all my junk. We have got to, to learn how to remember who we are in Christ. That this does not define you anymore. That if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are his son, you are his daughter. You are precious. You have access to him. You have access to everything he has. He's made available to us. That God chose to set his love and grace upon us. Chose to redeem you and chose to forgive you. That God doesn't hold your past against you. God says that when we, 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 we come to him and we confess our sin, that he takes these things and tosses them as far as the east is from the west. They can't be seen anymore. Yet why do we allow those things to dictate our identity? I'll tell you, as I struggle through this and I figure out how do I, how do I come to a good spot of, of, of remembering who I am in Christ, I picked this up from another pastor. And, and he said there's these four prayers these four ideas that he prays through. And so I've written these four things uh, in a couple different places in my life because I want to be reminded of them time and time and time again. But one of them speaks specifically to this idea. And it says, in Christ, there is nothing I can do to make God love me any more or any less. That every day, as I get up and I want to start praying over my day, this is a thought I begin to pray through. God, today would you help me to understand that there is nothing I can do to make you love me any more or any less. You've already set your grace upon me. You've already set your face upon me. I am yours already. Not because of what I've done, but because of your grace. Pray through this idea, God, you are all I need for everlasting joy. My joy doesn't come from someone else. My joy comes from you. And for goodness sakes, can we stop dropping hate to the people around us? Can we stop dropping hate to the people we claim to love? Can we stop calling each other names? Listen, I don't care if you're angry. Do you love the person enough to stop dropping hate and those prophetic words that damn them? Listen, I would just say this. I would say in your relationships, take the word always and never out of it. Because they're never helpful. <laughs> See what I did there? Always and never. They're destructive. They're not true. 
They build up walls. They begin to speak negative towards the people that we claim to love. Again, this is where we claim to love these people and we're going to choose to tell them who they are in Christ because it is going to help them become who God says they are. That we use our words with prophetic power to speak life and hope and love. Second thing, if we're going to put on these characteristics and, and dress the part of, uh, of a Christian. Jake addressed this last week. We're going to look at it again. That we set our minds on the things above. Jake said this last week. He said, what consumes your mind controls your life. But the practical part of it comes to, well, well how, do I, how do I set my mind on the things above? And Paul gives us the answer. Verse 16, he says, let the word of God, uh, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Listen, what does your relationship with God's word look like? God's word was never meant to be a chore. Oh, I've got to read it. It wasn't meant for you to have one more thing to check off the list. Oh, great, now I did this. He says, let the word of God dwell richly in you. When we make the word of God a priority, man, it allows us to, to think of the things above, to fill our minds with more of him and less of the stuff around us. What does your relationship with God's word actually look like? Is that something we open up on a Sunday morning? Or are you in the word of God? Listen, he includes this. He includes psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can I tell you a secret? The Christian radio stations are not there because, because rock music is bad. The Christian radio stations are not there because it's better than rock or pop, but it is better than country music. So we'll just throw that out there. All right? When we fill our, if we're going to fill our minds with the things that are above, it makes sense that we would allow some songs that are going to encourage us and point us back to the truth of God's word to fill our hearts with good things, to teach us things, to admonish us of other things. That we choose to listen to music that would uplift us and point us back to fill our minds with the things that are above. Second thing, set your mind on the things above. Verse 17, Paul says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, do everything to the name or to the glory of Jesus. Can you imagine if you woke up and said, I'm going to do everything today to the name of Jesus. Do you think your mind would be set on those things? things that are above. Oh, I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to do this in the name of Jesus. I'm going to guess you're probably going to pray over your coffee. Oh, I'm going to drive to work in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to guess that means you aren't going to honk and get on the tail of the person who cuts you off. Oh, I'm going to do everything to the name of Jesus. So when I get to the office and there's that annoying co-worker who took my stapler again and probably put it in jello, I'm not going to get mad at him because I'm doing everything to the name of Jesus. You see how maybe some of these characteristics begin to, to flow out of your life when you do everything to the name of Jesus. You set your mind on the things 
above. Listen, here's, here's how we're going to wrap this up. Listen, I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care how bad your past has been. I don't care how other people see you. I don't care how the world sees you. I don't care when they point to all those things you've done in the past and say, that's who you are. I don't care. I don't care what, what insecurity or unworthiness you carry in your heart because that's not who you are. You are not defined by those things. You are defined by what God says about you, that you are a child of God, that you are chosen, that you are holy, that you are set apart, that you are loved by him. That is who you are. And that's the message I want you to hear today, that that is who you are. That defines what you do. And if we would allow our minds to grasp this, that this is who I am. I am God's chosen. I am his, his set apart one. I am beloved by him. I am his child. That if we allow our mind to, to, to grasp that, that maybe, just maybe, the rest of today and tomorrow and this week, that if we understand who we are, that maybe we can begin to dress the part say, I am a child of God. And I'm going to begin to put these things on. And it might be a little gangly. It might look a little awkward. But this is who I am. And I am going to dress the part. Let me pray for you.